Brody and the Beard is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app. Best deals on the last-minute tickets. Kelly, did you know rocket ticket prices tend to drop right before game starts? No. No, really? seriously. No, seriously. Like I was looking up, the, I was on the app. I was just looking up the tickets for the Rockets Bucks games home opener. You could get, a, you could have gotten in for as low as twenty four dollars, dude. Like that's. Uh, is it easy to use? Because if that was the case, I would have done that. No, dude, it's super easy. It's as quick as two taps. You're in and out, and you can get tickets on last-minute deals for as much as 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered it's the fastest, easiest way to get into games. It's not just games, though, Kelly. You can get into theater tickets. You can get some music tickets. You can go anywhere. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hi there, listeners. Welcome back to Brody and the Beard on the Athletic Podcast Network. If you're a subscriber, head over to the website to check out Kelly's article about the Rockets' first road trip called Rockets Dish on their must-have items for the first road trip of the season inside a Russell reunion and Sam Amick's piece where he spoke with Daryl Morey about the Russell Westbrook trade called Morey Speaks About Hoops. Rockets GM declining to talk China dives deep on the Russell Westbrook trade. You can hear Kelly on today's Wizards After Dark podcast, that's Thursday, talking about the Wizards-Rockets game and Mo every Thursday on the Athletics NBA podcast back-to-back. Enjoy the show. Mo Dackel, this guy's amazing. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of Brody and the Beard. I'm Mo Dakil, and with me is Kelly Eco, a beat writer for The Athletic. This is an athletic podcast. Kelly, how you doing, bud? I am doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm a little bit congested, so sorry if I, I sound funny. Uh, but we're really lucky today. You know, when you're part of the athletic family, there are several big-time guys you can hit up, and we're lucky today to get to be able to hit up one of my favorite guys, Sam Amick. Sam, how you doing? Mo, my friend, thank you for having me. Kelly, I just saw you the other day, man. I feel like, you know, we're we're almost in the same part of the country. Here we go. I'm, I'm back home in NorCal. Thank you for having me, boys. I appreciate it. Oh, man, no, it's we, we had to have you. I mean, first off, it feels, you, we were saying before the call, it's like you practically are on the Rockets beat for the start of the season. You were there for the past <laughs> week or so. And while you were there, you it was were a able lot. <laughs> it was a bit I was heavy, say, right? I, the, the, it was a lot. The line I keep dropping, and, and listen, no disrespect to H Town, I enjoy it out there, but oh, I like boy. being on my own bed even better. Uh, no, it, Kelly's getting nervous. <laughs> 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 no, so like I know Mo, you were about to, you know, graciously plug the Daryl Morey interview that I did. Daryl talked about the Russell Westbrook trade and how like that five days in july in vegas as they got the deal done felt like two months i don't know what it was about this latest trip to houston a lot happened it was five days for me felt like two months i can relate to to daryl's plight but uh you know happy to be home (laughs) yeah well you you brought it up so 
before we actually get into the interview itself, I'm just curious, and this might be inside baseball a little bit for the uh, the folks at home. How does it? How do you go about getting Maury for an interview? And on top of that, especially with everything that was going on, I imagine it wasn't like he was eager to, to jump in and, and, and for interviews. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty unique uh, in that regard because you know, getting an interview is one thing that. You know, you've had experience with Kelly's got a lot of experience with this one's different because of the uniqueness of the China Hong Kong situation, Daryl's part in it. And the fact that he hadn't talked, you know what I mean? Now, listen, there we got, so he didn't talk about China in the interview. And so that ends up, if you're in my position being something where certainly the first attempt is to reach out to him and say, Hey, what you're thinking about addressing the China Hong Kong stuff? How do you plan on you know, handling that. And it was made pretty, you know, quickly clear by him that he is just going to leave it alone. And, you know, it doesn't mean that at some point when a camera's on, somebody might not ask him about it. That certainly could happen. But in terms of an interview like this, where I think the one thing the reader sometimes might gloss over is like, he doesn't have to talk. He, you know, there's no mandated NBA media availability for a GM in the same way that there is for a player and a coach. And so when GMs do interviews like these, you know, there's a lot of control on on their part where they get to decide when they talk and when they don't. So when it was clear he wasn't going to do the China, Hong Kong conversation, I basically said, well, what if we go down the Russell Westbrook trade road? You know, they were looking at that OKC reunion game coming up in a couple of days. And so we did that. And I mean, it was a good chat. Obviously that trade in general is, is one of the most interesting parts of the whole summer. I thought he was great, kind of, you know, pulling back the curtain. Uh, not going to lie, I mean, I still would love to talk to Daryl about what it was like to be in his seat during the whole China situation, but for obvious reasons, you know, he's just uh, leaving that alone for now. No, that that makes sense. It, the, the thing I loved about the piece itself is, you know, as you said, you were able to draw back the curtain and kind of go into it. Like, just the idea of Harden just going like, can we do this and keep CP? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, which is funny on two fronts, right? Because, like, for one, and, and Kelly and I, I think, talked about this a little bit when I was in Houston. It's funny from the standpoint of a player, you know, having the idea that you could somehow pull off a trade like that without, you know, giving up a major piece like Chris. And, and Daryl, you could tell, walked a fine line where he certainly didn't want to make James seem like he didn't know anything about how trades work. But, I think there is a a component when it comes to players where they want the sun and the moon and they want as much talent as possible on their team. The other part, just being real is that I just, there's when he said that, and you see when I followed up and I asked him like, just to make sure I'm hearing you correctly, you trying to tell me that James still wanted Chris on the team because that has not been the way it's been portrayed. It's not been the way that I've heard it. Um, I know for a fact, there was pretty deep concern like, you know, deep in the summer as, as it got into July, that that ship might have sailed. And the idea of James and Chris being able to coexist at a high level, you know, there were concerns about that being possible. So uh, who knows? I mean, I take Daryl at his word. I, I do understand hypothetically the idea that, like, let's say you could wave a magic wand, put those three guys on the same team. You know, maybe James would feel like Russ's arrival would kind of mitigate whatever tension was still there between he and Chris. Uh, but again, uh, the, the cap certainly restricts uh, moves like that. So never going to happen. Sam, this is kind of a two-part question for me, but 
you know, as you know, talking to Daryl is an experience of his own, but kind of take us through, you know, because every time you talk to Daryl or me or anybody, there's a moment during the interview where he kind of he kind of takes control of it and he's really into like the subject or whatever. How did he react to the whole MVP stuff whenever you brought it up to him about Harden and Russ from the past? I love that. And, and I mean, you got good instincts, Kelly, to pick up on that because, you know, the segue, and for anybody who hasn't read it, I asked Daryl about the fact that I wanted to learn about the personal dynamics between he and Russ. And then, you know, to a lesser extent, the whole team and just how Russ had been fitting in. But the way I lobbed it his direction was, you know, that I had vivid memories of running into the Rockets. I think I was actually in Houston and Daryl and at the time their assistant GM, Gerson Rosas, now the, the GM in Minnesota, um, gave me a hard time for voting for Westbrook for MVP a couple of years back when he averaged a triple double for the first time. And, you know, I think it's safe to say for me, they are the most candid front office uh, then and now in the league when it comes to actually telling media members whether they agreed with them or didn't agree with them on certain things voting wise. And so I kind of brought that up in the part that surprised me where he did kind of, you know, kind of grab the interview by the, the rain, so to speak is that he cut me off. He's like, yeah, and I would still give you a hard time about that vote because, you know, and I kind of give him props because Russ is on his team now. I did not expect him to, I mean, I know James is still on the team too. And so you could say he's doing the same thing. He's defending James, but you know, he could have been a little more delicate about that and not been, you know, so direct and making it clear that he still doesn't think that Russ should have been the MVP that year. So I tried to take that and, and just roll with it and say, all right, let's go down that road. And, and he kind of doubled down on, on what he told me a couple of years back. How have you seen it through Daryl's eyes, the kind of dynamics between him, Russ, James, as it pertains to, you know, team building, as it pertains to championship contending? I know it's early in the season, but how have you seen that from, you know, from a distance? I mean, they're all finding their way through it. Uh, it's it's a glaringly different style of basketball. Uh, I think it's awesome for viewing entertainment purposes. Now, that does not mean that this squad is going to be able to get to the level years ago. Uh, and, and so I think we have a little bit of recency bias when you look at it and just say difference is better. I mean, we can't really forget how good that team was and the hundreds of times that I've been told that if Chris Paul didn't get hurt, they would beat the Warriors. And, but it does show you how close they were. You know, I don't know what this team's ceiling is going to be, but they are essentially finding out how to maximize the best of both worlds with James and the incredible creativity that comes with what he does on the offensive end. Uh, but, you know, that we all know includes a, a ton of ball pounding and iso ball and high usage rates um, and, and guys waiting in the wings for open threes. And then the crazy person who is Russell Westbrook in his style and the helter skelter up pace, um, you know, up tempo pace and, and trying to jam it, you know, right down your throat, right in your grill. And that's the way he plays. I love that fire. And it's not even fire and ice. I mean, it's fire and a different kind of fire, um, but offensively, I mean, we saw last night in that wizards game, what the potential is now they, they got to work on that defense but i mean you are talking about an explosive possibility with the with these two guys at the helm yeah there was absolutely zero defense being played last night 
<laughs> on either side, <laughs> 317 combined points. I was like, oh, God, this was that was brutal. But oh, I do want to ask since you, you did that touch- actually, Mo, did that did that break a record or at least get close in terms of combined I, points? I heard it was top three in uh, okay, in, yeah. in, in, in points in regulation. Three? Yeah. So, we, I mean, there was a run back in the day with like Paul Westhead is when he was with the Nuggets, like they would run constantly and and push the ball. So there was a lot of high scoring at, at, during those days as well. So it's but it, it was up there. For old Alex, Alex English Nuggets. And yeah, I mean, there was there was a time when, you know, 120, 130 was on the regular. But but to see, you know, 150 plus from both teams. You know, the part that cracked me up, I know this is a basketball only pod. I mean, it wasn't even the best. I mean, the World Series, rather. Game seven wasn't even the best Houston-Washington game on the schedule last night. (laughs) That Wizards-Rocket thing was crazy. I didn't even – I I totally – first off, I completely whiffed on the the World Series in general and didn't even make that realization that it was a Houston and Washington team. So that's how much it touched on my radar. But – since you've seen the I'm Rockets, you, I, I appreciate it. About. Well, I saw your, I saw your, I saw your Instagram with like the fifty different screens you had going for a while. Nah, the 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 vibe from that arena, like you could tell that they were, you know, obviously they want the Wizards to win, but I think at some point during the third quarter, you know, from where I was sitting, there's one guy that still he kept going, go Nets. Go, man! <laughs> and then I, it it caught on, and then eventually they turned on the game on the jumbos on the jumbotron. <laughs> and I think at that point they had like the, I think it was four to two at like the top of the seventh or something like that. And at that point they they, they didn't even care. And by the way, the Rockets are in the midst of a, like a twelve point comeback, but <laughs> they could care less. That was that was some atmosphere last night. So Sam, since you've been around the Rockets for the past week, what what are your first impressions? I know it's early. I know you talked about it. you're kind of interested in seeing how this dynamic goes, but just off the bat, your opinion first couple games, what did you think of them? Oh, I mean, again, I like them. Um, you know, they dropped that Bucks game, and they certainly felt like they should have won that game. And from Daryl to Mike D'Antoni, they seemed to agree that you know, even though they were upset about the loss. Because they, 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 you know, they've got an extremely high bar internally as far as what they expect now. And so, you know, Daryl made the point, like, that's a Bucks team that very possibly could be in the finals. And if you're going to be that team coming out of the West, then you can either say it's just one game or you can say those are the exact kind of games that we have to figure out how to win. So he took the latter approach. And in that regard, he was disappointed. But they all agreed there was a lot to build off of and a lot more to be excited about than, you know, than maybe having red flags. There's plenty of teams right out the gate, even teams with good rosters right now where it's not, you can say it's early, but there's plenty of stuff that has them concerned. And the Rockets seem to be pretty bullish. You know, the, the, there's so many layers to their situation that fascinate me. Like one thing that struck me for sure was that the idea that Mike D'Antoni is in the last year of a contract after that very public contractual spat over the summer with he and, Tillman Fertitta and and the front office, like it's crazy to me that it just doesn't seem to matter right now. I think Mike has command of the team. I think that he has sent the message that, you know, it's basically like, all right, we'll see what happens next summer, but their focus is on the here and the now. And 
And if that remains, that's a credit to all of them. Uh, doesn't seem like the players are too caught up in it. And Russ seems to have clicked pretty well with Mike so far. And to kind of build off that, guys, and, and Kelly, you're seeing it every day, the Russ thing cracks me up because I feel like, you know, somebody stole the guy who was, you know, constantly edgy and, and not real friendly with the media during the OKC days. And I mean, he has a smile on his face a lot in Houston. You know, Kelly, you were there when he and I said hello for the first time. I practiced that one day, and I'm not trying to say that Russ was never friendly, but he, everybody who rolled through town and who got used to kind of the exhausting way that he would handle his media in the past definitely noticed that, that he's in a different place right now. Yeah, that was, that was actually a crazy thing to see the two of you interact like that. It was, I mean, you, you everyone knows you're the GOAT, so it's not really that crazy. To you, I know, I know it's early, but do you do you buy these teams' aspirations? You know, playing in May, playing in June. You know, I know it's only four games in, but from from the the atmosphere, the chemistry, just the environment, are you buying this team as possibly getting further than the 2017 version, the 2018 version? How do you how do you see the 2019 version playing yeah, out? Yeah, I mean. It's one of those things, like, I'm buying them being in the mix. I'm not buying them, like, going to go bet my mortgage on it by any means. But it's a dynamic duo season where that's the story of the 1920 campaign, whether it's LeBron and AD, Kawhi and PG, Russ and James, all the way down the line, you know, Joel and Ben Simmons out in the East, um, you know, Giannis and Chris Middleton. It's all about how far can your two guys take you? And I know the game's not that simple. There's so much more to it, but the Rockets duo to me does have a, a high enough ceiling potentially that I think it is legit for them to have aspirations for June. And then it comes with all of these ifs that are major, major, you know, in bold, all caps, ifs about their season. So Clint Capella jumps out at me because he was the fall guy of the playoffs last year. And it just, it was not hard to run into pretty tough commentary internally on the way he had played. And, and so, you know, you wonder where his head's at. I think that's a guy who's got to play at a high level because the star power that we always focus on is one thing, but as far as how they function offensively and defensively, uh, you can make an argument that, I mean, call Clint an X factor, or call him, you know, just almost as important as those two other guys. I think that's legit. And so, you know, it's, he's going to be extremely important. Then you have the, the other guys who just need to be the best versions of themselves. And, you know, more than anybody, Eric Gordon and P.J. Tucker. Um, you know, P.J.'s situation, and Kelly, I'm curious for you to weigh in on this, interests me because, you know, the, he's a heart and soul guy. It's like – the, the Warriors teams before their recent fall, Draymond Green was the heart and soul of, of their dynasty and the competitiveness and the two-way play and all those things. But he's also like the only guy whose contract situation hasn't been firmed up. And, you know, I think it's probably safe to assume that there's a little disappointment and frustration on his part on that front. And I just don't, if you kind of highlight different subplots that, that I wonder if they might impact the group, you know, that one's on my radar a little bit because, Eric Gordon got his extension. You know, James and Russ are locked up for a number of years. Uh, and, you know, and then you got PJ just kind of wondering what his future holds with this team. Oh, I think on the on the Tucker front, 
you know, from from the conversations I've had, I think it's something that they'll discuss um, this summer, you know, along with Mike D'Antoni. I don't think they were in a situation where they were kind of pressured, you know, to go into negotiations last summer. We, I mean, we all know I talked to Chuck in L.A. during Team USA stuff, and he made his intentions clear of, you know, kind of what he felt he was owed and that the time was now. But I think it's something where, you know, the Rockets don't really do that kind of thing in season. And with, with kind of the offseason that they had, <laughs> which was pretty busy, I, I think yeah. they, their view is that they would address that when the time is appropriate, which is after the season. Right, right. Which is fair. But, I mean, with the Rockets in general, I always wonder, I mean, look at how they're they, – they have a certain – this is maybe a too harsh of a word, but there's a certain callousness to the way they handle contracts that I think some of their critics in the past have accused them of not, you know, just not massaging egos enough, not factoring in the human component enough. And so, um, you know, there's, they are an extremely high volume transactional team and one that, uh, you know, that we've seen when some of these different contract situations, whether it's Mike or elsewhere, can impact what's on the floor. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But to your original question, Kelly, I think they're going to be a really good team that wins a whole lot of ball games, And then we got to see just how they gel when it matters most late in the year. Yeah, yeah that's where I think their defensive inabilities is really going to show. That's what it's going to be a problem between Russ and West and uh, Harden not being able to defend. I think that's where their that weakness is really going to hit them. But I do want to talk – we mentioned it, but I do want to talk a little bit about the – game last night just because I mean besides the absurd score I mean Harden drops 59 you mentioned Eric Gordon it looked like he was beginning to come out of his slump a little bit hit 5 or 13 from 3 uh, for 15 points Kelly what was your you were there what was your view from when you were watching it like I mean I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you when I first saw the uh, starting lineups for the Wizards I thought this game would be over by halftime um, I just didn't buy, you know, the starting five, but give them credit. They fought, they ran, they shot the ball like no tomorrow. <laughs> like I saw Davis Bertans, you know, Troy, Troy uh, Brown Jr. Um, ish, no, not ish, Isaiah Thomas. Shout out to Isaiah Thomas, man. He, he looks really good. But for the Rockets' perspective, you know, for James – I figured that he would break out of a slump eventually, but every time he got the ball in isolation, you could hear the crowd just groaning, like because they knew what was coming next. They knew he was going to go to the basket. They knew he was going to get fouled, but they knew he was going to take a step back three, and he looked fantastic. Like at one point, I kind of drew a comparison between this year and last season, where you know if you remember, he wore the headband for the first time, and he had 50 in that game too, but. Markeith Morris and the other Wizards just did not miss that night. And they won. They actually beat the Rockets last year in D.C. And that kind of started off the, the bad vibe, the bad road trip. You know, Carmelo is there. And, and this year is just different from the fact that their defense is so bad. But last night was really bad. Like, really bad. And I, I just don't know. I think this road trip is going to open a lot of eyes to the fact that 
this group is going to need more time to, you know, get things right. Because everything I hear from them is communication, you know, awareness, rotations, things that a top defensive team already can do in their sleep. And this group, maybe it's because of their age. Maybe it's because they're already focused on the playoffs or whatever. But defensively, they do not look good. Now, everyone knows that they'll score with the best of them. 160 points is no slouches game. But they have to step up their defense, like, really. I don't know how else to. I don't know how else to stress it. It's it's just not good. Yeah, I mean, like. Well, you also know. I mean, we know based on history that there's going to be a roster addition or two by the time we get sure. to the end of the for year. For sure. You know. For sure. And so, you know, who's that guy going to be? Um, who gives him a little more, maybe wing help defensively? Uh, Mo, I don't even know. I mean, if any names come to mind, I know it's early, but I think you know Daryl and, and that I group think Jay Crowder already. I'm on the Jay Crowder train. That's me. For me. Yeah, I, I think their their first choice would probably be Iguodala if they could get him, depending how that whole situation shakes out. I think Jay Crowder's another guy. Uh, it is still relatively early. Like we're gonna see over the next couple weeks, teams evaluating their situation and figuring out who who do they want to have, who do they want to get rid of, and 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 what can they get for the guy. And you know, the other question too is what do the Rockets have to really kind of give up in a trade? You know, the, they gave up a bunch of picks, if I remember correctly, to get, you know, Russ. So, you know, what's what's in their asset situation? What's in their cupboard? And, you know, or is it a buyout situation? And we got to wait to see that. Because, like like I said, you know, Iguodala, if he's not traded, it's probably going to be on the buyout market. Crowder might be a guy that's on the buyout market. Those are just two guys in Memphis for the most part. But, I mean, you, you know how it goes, Sam. It's going to be wide open. I mean, give it a few weeks and a couple guys are going to start to be disgruntled and, and, and angry and, and, and want a new home. No, absolutely. Not to mention, you know, I mean, you got the bio market, you got the unemployment market. I mean, there's some, you know, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on good names, but I mean, you know, there's, there's guys who can still play ball. I mean, even listen, Joe Johnson's not the guy who's going to help you defensively ever, but when you see Joe Johnson be the MVP of the big three and then get cut by the Pistons, it, it shows you, how high the bar is to keep a job in the NBA. So I don't know who that guy is going to be, or maybe more than one guy. I just know that, that uh, we always, I think this time of year kind of seem to forget that, you know, there's just a bunch to come in the next five, six months that we don't have on the radar at all right now. Yeah. And I think another, another guy to kind of keep an eye on, I don't know if, what the story is there. If he's just completely done in the NBA, but J.R. Smith is a guy. I think somebody's sure. going to take a flyer on him. That's a guy kind of fits the rocket system in terms of shooting and everything like that. Granted, there's a lot of extra baggage that tends to come with him at times, but that's a guy who doesn't have a job that they could sign tomorrow. Yeah. Soup sponsorship, you know, make a little extra money and on the marketing side with JR coming to town, maybe Campbell's sponsor a a rocket team. That's not a bad call there. See, that's see. Now not only are you caught, you're bringing in money now. That's a, that's an important thing. His agent needs to be on top of that. They got to replace that China money somehow. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Mo, I got I got two questions for you from from the game. Now, this is something I asked Coach D'Antoni about today because I know they've been talking a lot about Clint and how he needs to dominate in year five or whatever. And I saw early on they kind of made a conceited effort to get him going early, you know, get him easy opportunities. But 
there was a, a tweak that I saw Coach D'Antoni do, which was start him in the beginning of the second quarter with Russ and the second unit, which I hadn't really seen that a lot. And I asked Coach about it, he, and he kind of avoided it saying, you know, it was because he thought he had played him too much in, in, in that quarter. But I think that's kind of interesting to see. He really enjoys playing with Russ uh, Capella because Russ is going to make you, you know, want to score. He, the way he plays, he attracts so much gravity. It's it's different from Steph's gravity from from being a shooter, but he still has gravity nonetheless. And I think when he draws in defenders and throws those lobs to Clint, it gets him going early. And that's the kind of guy you want to get his morale going early. You know. Get the the blood pumping and get and get the juices flowing, but how how did you see him and um, Daniel House? Because I think House has been playing pretty well this season. Thank yeah, you. I I think the Capella and and Russ dynamic is is developing pretty well. Actually, you can see there's some chemistry coming along with that. You know, Capella is getting a lot a lot of lobs. I mean, he gets a bunch off hard and pick and rolls, but he's also getting the same thing off of Westbrook. It kind of makes sense to pair those two to continue to help when Russ drives the rib, it, if Capella's rolling at the same time, that big man's in a tough position because now he's got to figure out, do I take Russ, do I take uh, Clint? And it's one of those situations there. So it opens up door of opportunities for the Rockets. So uh, I'm not surprised they went to that. I think it makes sense. And it's something that keep an eye on because it does look like they're developing good chemistry there. Well, to build off that, Mo and, and Kelly too, I mean, I honestly, I never thought about this much in the past, but man, I got to assume that, that one of the coaching staff's challenges, and, and Clint is probably the poster boy for this, is that as incredible as James Harden is, you know, we all know that when it comes to players, like your defensive intensity and aggression is going to be correlated to are you getting fed on the offensive end at all? And, you know, the way they played the last few years, you know, whether it's Clint or some of the other guys, like it's got to be challenging to sit around watching James dribble as much as they do and to not be getting the kind of opportunities. I'm not saying James never sets Clint up. He certainly does, but it's a very different style than sharing the floor with Russ. And and I, I got to imagine that's part of the thinking as they try to get, you know, Russ and Clint on the floor together more. A- absolutely. And it, like, just to kind of go back to my Clipper days, when I was with, uh, we had DeAndre Jordan and, you know, Coach Del Negro kind of made the point, you know, like we're going to run our first play is always going to be a post up to DeAndre Jordan. Now, it's not that he has a good post up game or anything like that, because to be honest, he doesn't. But right. the, the, the idea was like we need to keep him engaged. We need to get him a touch early. We need to keep him going. So it's the same concept, Sam. And that's something that coaches are aware of, of like hey, we got to keep these guys tight and keep them with us. So it's something that you, you know, it's not a surprise to see like, hey, we're going to pair him with Westbrook because he's going to get more touches there and that'll keep him engaged on the defensive end and whatnot. I mean, that's a, that's a Quinn Snyder's philosophy in Utah, right? It's different. Everybody's getting touches on the offensive end. They're going to play harder on the defensive end. And that's kind of why they have that offense. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very, normal thing that we see and and doesn't get talked about much and, I, and I'm glad you brought that up but isn't isn't that kind of similar you know when you talk about players that need rhythm like an Eric Gordon or you know Austin Rivers you know aren't you seeing similar where sometimes Eric's not being involved as much or 
you know, as he would like to do, you know, but sometimes, like you said, you just have to wait your turn kind of in this offense. I think that's what makes playing with James so hard. You know, it's because you could go five, six, seven possessions even and not touch the ball. And you got to still go perform on the other end, which is it's everybody's attitude is like, yo, that's what they should do. They're basketball players. That's the way the system's set up. But then it's tough where then on the eighth possession, all of a sudden the ball's in your hand and now you got to go deliver something. And if you screw up, odds are you might not get the ball again for another nine possessions or whatever. Or, you know, it's it's a tough thing as an offensive player to find that flow. We see it when guys get foul trouble early and are in a, you know, they're out of sync all game. It's just hard to find that rhythm. So it's, that's the biggest challenge of playing with Harden. Well, uh, I will say this though. Um, when you look at players like Eric Gordon and um, Tuck, you can clearly see that Russell really enjoys playing with those guys like him and Eric, especially there are times when he'll have the ball on the break Russ could easily take a dunk or pull up, but he's looking to see where Eric is behind the line. He knows he's going to spray it, and he's geared to him. He's getting to tuck. I think one of Russ's traits that don't go talked about as much is his unselfishness. You know, he he wants guys to score and wants them to like. You, you could tell if he had those guys with him in his Thunder days, you know, it would have been much easier for him. You know, than having to do everything on his own. Yeah, I mean, that's the disclaimer, right, is that he didn't have those guys during his, his pre-Paul George Thunder days. The one season where he basically got him to the playoffs all by himself, you know, the fans got tired of, of seeing it, and he was accused of being selfish, you know. And it, it was always a, a tough conversation because triple-doubles, in, you know, inherently are, are considered, you know, not a selfish act. It's your, your impact in the game in, in so many different ways. But, you know, then, then you see that – that highlight when he's taking the rebound out of Steven Adams' hands and trying to get to that double-digit rebound number. So it's a nuanced conversation. I think what you're seeing right now with Russ is he's a, a very bright guy who's smart enough to know that, for one, he's got to build good chemistry with this group from, you know, starting right now. For two, he, he kind of needs, like, a certain approval rating within his own locker room. I think, you know, there's a first impression thing happening right now where I think he would like everybody in that locker room to, to make sure that they know that he is willing to be a, a willing passer and to not be the guy who's out there just trying to make sure that he gets another triple-double or gets his numbers. So the, the dynamics are interesting. And for me, guys, honestly, that's why if you look at them through the scope of the entire league, they're one of the most interesting teams in the entire regular season because all these different scenarios that we keep talking about, if this, you know, what if that, we don't know how it's going to play out, and that's what's going to impact who they are by the time the playoffs roll around. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Uh, Sam, I know you got to go. You're the national guy. You got places to be. You're on the move. Thank you so much for stopping in. For uh, This is your second week on Brody and the Beard. You're on the post game after the uh, <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks game, man. You're a regular now. I know, man. I know. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Happy on the rocket beat, just trying to make sure that Kelly's got a little help. But yes, sir. I'm good, man. Thank you for having me, guys. I Uncle appreciate Sam. it. Uncle Sam. Uncle <laughs> Sam. Yeah. trying to make, that just means I'm old. Don't be driving. Wow. <laughs> well, I just I just Sam, I just found out how old Kelly is and that hurt me a bit. So <laughs> yeah. 27. All right. <laughs>
he's he's a vet on the beat now. Yes, he All right, is. Boys, I appreciate you. Thank All you, right. Sam. All right, big thank you to Sam. Before we sign off, we do want to talk about yo. It's a pretty tough road trip coming up for the. Or they're still on it. Kelly's on the road. Kelly, where are you right now? I am in an undisclosed location in Bushwick. <laughs> why you gotta so, make it sound like you're <laughs> why is undisclosed it? location? I gotta hide, man. I got I got people looking for me. All right, Biggie <laughs> Velvet. Uh, <laughs> they're playing they're, they're playing Brooklyn tomorrow. Yep. They got Miami coming up on, and then Memphis on the second night in the back to back. Brooklyn's coming off a loss. Like they're kind of in a weird place trying to figure out what they're gonna do offensively. But when you're playing Brooklyn, you're coming up against Kyrie. I, you excited to watch this battle of a uh, Kyrie Harden going at each other? Man, if I thought Bradley Beal and Harden was going to be good, this is like Rocky Park 3. Kyrie is arguably, you know, the best dribbler of the basketball. And he's averaging, what, like 30-something this year. He's going crazy. And I, just, I know Brooklyn is in a funk because, you know, they kind of – if you look at it, their offense kind of did change from last season to this. You know, last season it was this harmonious ball movement, Kenny Atkinson, everything, la di da. And now it's just get Kyrie the basketball and everyone else figure it out. And I think Houston is kind of in that thing too, where they're still kind of figuring things out. So I think tomorrow will be really interesting to see how they try and go back and forth in the battle of X's and O's. But this road trip is not easy at all because if you look at it, okay, Washington, Brooklyn, um, Miami, and Memphis, all four of those big men, Clint Capella has struggled against in some aspect. So it'll be interesting to see how early Mike D'Antoni goes small. You know, if he decides to play Tuck Eddix for an extended period at the five, we saw him try and bring Ryan Anderson, but that was, you know, short-lived. So we're, it'll be interesting to see how he does, you know, the rotations from tomorrow, you know, Miami and Memphis. But I think I think they can split it. I think I think they can split it. If they go three one, that would be pretty impressive. But I think they split. Um, I think they lose Miami and tomorrow. Yeah, I think the thing is, like the Washington game should have been a cakewalk. The way you. You even saw it. You saw the opening roster, the yeah, lineups, dude, like, and it's like <laughs> that should be a cakewalk. And and it really highlights like, listen, if it's just a not even an average, just a semi average defense going up against them, like that's a different game, you know, and, and and that would have been and maybe the Rockets lose that game, I think. You touched on it with Brooklyn. It's very one-on-one heavy offense now with with Kyrie. I think that's that's something they can take advantage of just because it's, they're still looking out of sync. I think Miami poses poses to be a loss just because they just got Jimmy back and, and and he was just out on personal reasons. I believe he just had his family just had a baby, so uh, congrats to him. But then they have guys like Tyler Hero, Goran Dragic, like they have a complete team. That that could give the Rockets a run, which would make things a bit more challenging. And you know, we we tend to forget, you know, the Rockets are still learning on the fly as they're going, and, and they're still figuring things out. So it's a whole process, and, and getting everybody up to snuff, getting Gordon back to adjusting to his role, getting Russ, you know, kind of seeing everything going, and 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 Harden continuing to to run. But tomorrow's game is going to feature two of the best scorers in the NBA, and Harden and and Kyrie. So 
it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, man. What is your over under on Curry? Is he is he going to hit his scoring average? I think he's averaging what thirty five. He's is, averaging thirty five. Is, is, is he going to hit it? I think so. I don't. I don't think. Uh, well, I mean, look to start the game, he's going to either have Russ or Harden on him, and and so that's they're not no defenders. So he's going to be able to get buckets off of those guys. And the thing is, he's damn good, and he's able to get buckets off of just about anybody. So I think he'll. I think he'll get his scoring average. Whether they win is a whole different issue. But I think he'll get. If he doesn't get it, he'll be just off. But I think he'll get around 30-something. Do you think this sh- there should be more of Austin Rivers? I feel like whenever they play, you know, teams that have prolific scoring guards, I feel like Austin Rivers should, you know, get more playing time. The same way I felt about Iman Shumpert whenever, you know, they played the Warriors. I just felt like, you know, Shumpert and Rivers were brought in for that reason. I, I think they should you know, get more reps against the Kyries, the Bradley Beals, you know, the Jimmy Butlers, those types. Um, but I'm curious to see what's your stance, you know, from when you were with the Clippers. How do you how do you balance, you know, rotational stuff versus strategic stuff? Austin should get more time. Great. Who are you not giving minutes to then? Because Austin got 20 minutes in the last game. You know, you had... Tucker with 33, House with 29, Capello with 30, Russ with 35, Harden with 38. You have Gordon at 30. Uh, you know, they, Ben McLemore got eight. Cephalosha got 10. Like, where are you? Finding those minutes is hard to find. And that's that's the challenge. And at the same time, you're still building the chemistry. So you're still trying to find, really figure out what your team is. So I think it's it's a very loose thing right now. He might see more minutes. He might see less minutes. It might go up game to game. It's hard to do in, in the regular season once you kind of set your rotation to change things yeah. just on a night-to-night basis. Because the one thing I've learned about players is they like to know when they're going in games and when they're supposed to come out of games. Like they kind of have that. Once the rotation set, they kind of have that expectation, and then they start to prepare mentally. Everything goes out the window in the playoffs because playoffs is a whole different deal, a whole different beast. And we'll we'll get into the playoffs down the road. Uh, what do we get there? Uh, we're, mind you, we're on the last day of October, so we got a long way to go to to get to that. But right now, I think it's just a D'Antoni's still trying to figure out what he has in all these pieces. I mean, still, it's a lot of guys that are that are on this team that they, he's got to figure out. So there are times where he probably could be playing more, but it's a question of like, well, who needs to be sitting down because of that? So, so I, I take it you're not a fan of uh, mirroring minutes. No, I mean not in the regular season. Okay. Not in the regular season. In the playoffs, it's a whole different deal. That's that's where I might jump in on that. But you know, like you're not going to put Austin in the starting lineup today or <laughs> for tomorrow's game. And it has nothing to do with Austin. This isn't a shot at him. But we need to, you, you know, like you, you need to see how everything goes and play it like that. So, Kelly. I know you're in New York. You're somewhere in Bushwick in an undisclosed location. I know you you want to get out and enjoy that New York weather. No, I do not. This weather is shitty. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, in that case, though, I need to go enjoy my L.A. weather. So oh, we're going to ra- wrap it up here. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Brody and the Beard. Thank you to Sam for coming on and giving us some great insight. Also, please, guys, take a second, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And, yo, we out.